0: So what about those extra books in the Catholic Bible? Or what about the Gospel of Thomas? In other words, how do we know we have the right books in our Bible? And and in hey, everyone, welcome back to the Love Your Bible podcast. Hey, we've been doing a little mini-series called Is the Bible Actually True? And uh, I think it's a really important series because... If you're going to love your Bible and you're going to read your Bible, you need to... Trust your Bible. You need to believe that uh, what you're reading is actually from God. That it's beneficial to you. That the words you're reading, um, they're they're the right words and the right books, and there's no errors. And so uh, the Bible comes under all sorts of critiques. So we want to take some of those critiques and we want to say, okay, well, is the Bible really the Word of God? We dealt with that in the first episode. And then um, how how did the Bible get written? Like how did God write the Bible? We dealt with that um in the last episode so uh hopefully in this one we're going to get to see okay do we have the right books in our bible um i know it's almost halloween and then it's going to be thanksgiving and christmas and something about thanksgiving and christmas you get all of these um like like articles documentaries about um, these extra books of the Bible. Like you'll probably hear about the Gospel of Thomas uh, sometime around Christmas because the Gospel of Thomas, there's all these weird sayings of Jesus, and it seems like there's more information than we have, and there's like secret sayings. And the reason is because uh, the Gospel of Thomas, it was not written during the time of Jesus. The Gnostics put it together, and it's got a lot of weird stuff in it. So um, the Gospel of Thomas is not part of Your Bible. It's uh, not God breathed scripture. But how do we know that? How do we know that Matthew's gospel is correct and Thomas's gospel or so called gospel is actually wrong? Uh, And then you've got the other question about if you have a Catholic friend, they have some extra books in their Bible. Remember 1st, 2nd Maccabees? Why don't we preach from 1st and 2nd Maccabees? Well, there's a reason we don't, and we're going to talk about that this morning, and hopefully we're going to see that you have uh, 39 books in your Old Testament and 27 books in your New Testament, and that is the exact arrangement God wants. Those are the books God wants in your Bible. Those are the ones He breathed out. Those are the ones that are for your benefit. Those are the ones you should study and live by. So the question is, how do we know that? Well, well, that's what today's episode is all about. So when we talk about do we have the right books, we're talking about the canon of Scripture. You might have heard that term, canon. Now, what exactly does that mean? Are we like shooting something? Uh, well, canon, it means a rule or a measurement, okay? So a canon, it's it's a measurement, So we're trying to say, okay, when we measure the Bible, this is the books that are in and then everything else is out. So the canon, it's how many books are in. um, It's a question of do we have the right books of the Bible. Now, I want to note something right off the bat that the early church, they didn't create the canon. Some people say that well the early church they 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 created the Bible, they created this thing they're the ones who determine this. no, the Bible didn't create or the early church didn't create the canon. Um, God did the church recognized it. Okay. So the church is not just creating books. No, God is writing books and the church is coming together. The apostles, they're coming together and they're recognizing, Oh, these books, these letters are God breathed scripture. And we can tell that. So that's a really, really important thing. Uh, the church didn't just say, Hey, let's put together writings and call it God's word. Instead, they're recognizing what writings are God's Word. okay, So uh, for one, Jesus himself acknowledged the 39 books of the Old Testament. You see that in uh, Luke's gospel, Luke 24, when he uh, appeals to um, the wisdom, the prophets, and um, the law. All of that is the 39 books of the Old Testament. Um, The council in 70 AD also confirmed the 39 books of the Old Testament. So not a lot of people question the Old Testament. It's more about the New Testament, and then of course the Apocrypha. Now, the Apocrypha is what uh, the Catholics have in their Bible. Um, it's that 1st and 2nd Maccabees, and there's a few other books that they put in the Apocrypha. Now, what do we do with those books? Well, it's important to notice that the Apocrypha was never viewed in Judaism as scripture. Okay. Now, the Apocrypha was often bound with the Old Testament because it's useful to understanding the Old Testament. So what exactly is the Apocrypha? It is its history. It's historical information about the people of Israel. It was um, written in between the Testament. So the close of the Old Testament, the beginning of the New Testament, there were writings in between that intertestament period, and that's is known as the Apocrypha. Um, so you can read it as historical information about uh, the history of God's people, but you're not reading God-breed Scripture. And in fact, the Catholic Church only recognized the Apocrypha as Scripture during the time of the Reformation. So before the Reformation, they didn't see it as Scripture either. They would have saw it as uh, historical writing. So to answer the question about the Catholic Bible, the Apocrypha, it's historical writing, but it's not Scripture. So how do we know what is Scripture. How do we know that we have the right books in our Bible? How do we know that First and Second Peter are Scripture when First and Second Maccabees are not? Well, we're going to see that there there's six criteria for a book to make it in the canon of Scripture for the Church to agree. Hey, this is God breathed Scripture. Each one of these letters, each one of these books had to go through six different criterias. And so I want to give you those because hopefully it's going to make you say, oh, wow, okay, they put some thought into this and I can trust my Bible. So the first criteria um, was this. It's written by recognized prophets or apostles. Okay, so it's written by a recognized prophet or or apostles. So that would be the first criteria. If it met that, it's probably going to be included in Scripture. So the vast majority of the Old Testament is included in this. A lot of the New Testament books are. You think about a letter written by Paul. Paul is a recognized apostle, okay? <laughs> a book written by Moses, like Genesis, Exodus, well, that's a recognized prophet. Um, you have John's gospel. You have Second Peter, You have these books that are written by prophets or apostles, Um, so when a book is written by them, you can pretty much guarantee, okay, we're going to say this is Scripture because it's written by a prophet or an apostle in that context. Uh, The second criteria um, is this. It's written by those associated with a recognized prophet or apostle. Okay, so if this book isn't coming from uh, Paul, then maybe it's coming from Luke, Okay, so Luke is not an apostle, he's not a prophet, but he is associated with Paul, he's one of Paul's companions. So he's um, he's writing his gospel, and in a sense, it's really like Paul's gospel. And when he's writing Luke, he's writing um, in association with Paul. So people knew that he was close. He's one of the brothers. He's one of those that um, the church would sign off on. So Luke's not just some random guy. Um, John Mark's not just some random guy. No, they are associated with these prophets or apostles. The third criteria is truthfulness. Okay, so if you see Deuteronomy 18, 20 through 22, it speaks about, hey, God tells the truth and falsehoods can't be from God. So if there is a book of the Bible, if there is a scripture, if there's a passage that is blatantly false, then we know it's not from God. So they could read through these letters, they could decipher through these uh, through the information they had. And if it's not true, then it's not from God and it would be rejected. Okay, so first criteria, it's written by a prophet or apostle. Second, it's written by someone associated with a a prophet or an apostle. The third one, it's got to be true. It has to actually pass the truth test to be scripture. Number four, the fourth criteria they would look at is faithfulness to previously accepted canonical writings. Okay, so this was really important. Okay, if they have a book of the Bible, let's say James, or let's say 1 John, 2 John, Jude. Okay, is this a letter that um, proves faithful to the previously accepted canonical writings. In other words, if there is a book that that or a letter that's written uh, that doesn't agree with the rest of scripture, that's not consistent, then we know it's not God's word because we see God's word. It spans over generations. It is consistent all the way through. It is one voice. It's one story. It's one plan of redemption. So all of them have to agree together. So they would uh, decipher, does this agree with previous revelation? Does this match God's story? Um, And then they would consider it for um, acceptance in the canon. Also, uh, the fifth criteria is that uh, the book or letter, it's confirmed by Christ, a prophet, or an apostle. Okay, so if it's confirmed by Christ, uh, then it's probably in the Bible. So again, we reference Luke 24, where Jesus um, confirms the whole Old Testament. We see 2 Peter 3.16, where Peter affirms Paul's writings as Scripture. We've already looked at that. So, it's confirmed by the apostles, by the prophets, by Christ himself. That's A note that, yes, it deserves to be in your Bible. And then the last criteria, and this was actually the most uh, dominating factor on if the church would recognize a certain letter or a certain book as Scripture, and it was this, Church Usage and Recognition. Okay, so what this means is um, that the church would look at, okay, as Christians are reading these letters, as Christians are reading these books, can they together as a community confirm yes, this is God's word. We can we can tell it. <laughs> like, like we know what smells not like God's word and we know what smells like God's word and this obviously is God's word. So just the circulation, the popularity um, that everyone agrees with, uh, for instance, Romans, okay? Romans will be one of those books that it's widely circulated. Everyone who reads it confirms, oh yes, this is clearly from Paul. This is clearly true. We're all using it. We're sharing it. Um, Ephesians, yes, it's going to other churches. Everyone's agreeing, okay, this is God's Word. This is Holy Scripture. So you can see the church didn't just um, willy-nilly say, well, I guess this is or I guess this isn't. And, And one of the reasons the canon came to be is because there are heretics in the church who are saying, hey, some of these books don't belong here. Um, because they were teaching false things and they would try to deny God's word. So the church had to come together and say, okay, we're going to have to say what we believe is scripture, what we can bank our lives on. And so they went through this criteria, these six things. And the six things were, um, they had to be Either written by a prophet or an apostle, or written by someone associated with a prophet or apostle. It had to be true. It had to um, uh, agree with previously accepted writings. So it had to have that faithfulness test. It had to be confirmed by Christ, an apostle or prophet. And then the church had to use it and recognize it together and confirm this is God's holy word. So we see the church didn't create the canon. The church didn't create these books. No, the church instead recognized, hey, these writings for Paul, these writings from Peter, these writings from John... They are scripture, and we're going through this grid. We're confirming their scripture, and we should bank our lives on these. So what that means is for you and I, we can trust the early church to be able to identify which 27 books in our New Testament are actual scripture, and then what books need to be left out, what books are not scripture. And I mentioned the Gospel of Thomas. Why do we not have the Gospel of Thomas? For one, it was written like two to three hundred years after um, the life of Christ and after even the life of Thomas. So it's clearly not a real book. The Gnostics made it up. Um, They were trying to talk about deeper knowledge of God. If you read it, it, it's a little crazy. The sayings of Jesus are a little crazy. Um, But the reason it's not in our Bible is because the early church didn't have it and the early church didn't recognize that as scripture because it it doesn't pass any of those um, clear uh, tests on how we should recognize uh, the Bible. So now we have what's called the close of the canon. And that means there cannot be any more books of the Bible. Now, why is that true? Well, I'll give kind of four um, reasons why or implications on the close of the canon. So number one, um, we can have no revelation contrary to the gospel. So this excludes um, sort of other religions and other revelations that have came to be um, like, you know, you have uh, Mormons who have this other revelation from Joseph Smith and when Jesus came to the Americans, like, no, that's contrary to the gospel. Um, So you have these other religions that have other revelations. Those are outside of the canon of scripture. Uh, Second, Jesus is the final revelation. That's really important. Hebrews 1 uh, will tell us that in times long ago, you had the prophets, but now we have Jesus. He is the full and final revelation. He's everything we need to know about Jesus. So you don't need any other books. We don't need any more information. We don't need further revelation. We have the full revelation of Jesus Christ. So his life, death, and resurrection, and then the early church that got birthed after him, that's all the revelation we need to live our lives and be faithful to God. Number three, Jesus commissioned the apostles to convey his revelation. So it was the apostles that had that charge to write scripture to show the revelation of Jesus. And this is the New Testament writers. Um, They're commissioned by Jesus to tell the truth about Jesus. We've we've already read that in John 16, 12 in a later episode where the Spirit revealed, hey, you're going to write down and you're going to remember all the things that Jesus said. The Spirit's going to bring those to your recollection and then you're going to write them down, they're going to become scripture. And then also we see this warning in Revelation twenty two eighteen, 18, um, where it's talking about do not add or take away from the revelation that is given. So we have kind of this book, uh, which is revelation. Um, it's saying, don't add to this, don't take away to this, because this is the final revelation of who Jesus is. There's no more to come after it. So we're not waiting for another book from heaven, we're not waiting for some prophet to get up and say, hey, I've got extra information about Jesus. No, we have the close of the canon. Um, there's no further revelation. Jesus is the final revelation. His apostles are the ones that were to write down the finished copy of that, and there's a warning in Scripture not to add to or take away from God's full final revelation. So just in summary, we have the canon. The canon of Scripture means a measurement. It's the it's the rule. It's It's what's in and what's out of God's Word, and we can see from the early church and the early councils that they didn't make this up, they recognized what God's Word is through a series of criteria, through getting together, um, through prayerfully considering, okay, do we have the right books of the Bible? And we can have confidence that those 39 Old Testament books and those 27 New Testament books, those are actually... God breed scripture and that's all we need that is the full and final revelation of God's story of redemption to us and then now we have the close of the canon we don't need any more books we don't need any more information because we have the full and final revelation of who Jesus is. And as we read the Word of God, both Old and New Testament, as we read the Word of God by the Spirit of God, we are equipped with everything we need for our lives. In other words, Scripture, it's sufficient for our lives. It's sufficient for our sanctification that God is creating in us how we need to be His new people. So it is for our benefit, it is for our good. Um, so I hope that after today's episode you have confidence that when you hold that Bible in your hand and you notice there's a bunch of letters, there's a bunch of books in here, thirty-nine Old Testament, twenty-seven New Testament. Hey, these are actually all the, the words of God. And there's not any extras that I'm missing, um, but these are the ones I need for my life, for my soul, uh, so that I can communicate with God in this uh, scripture. And so read it. Pray over it, do it, meditate on it, because a lot of work went into recognizing which one of these are and which one of these aren't God's Word. So hopefully uh, that encourages you to know, yes, you have the right books in your Bible. And because you have the right books, you should want to go read them so that you can become the right person God want you to be. Hey, I've enjoyed today's episode. Next episode, I'm really excited about it. It might even be a two-parter. We'll have to see how it goes, but I want to answer this question. Does the Bible have errors? Now you've probably had a friend, or you've read a headline, or you've read a book, or you've saw a tweet where the Bible is full of errors. Why would you even listen to that thing? It's just full of errors. We know there's all sorts of half truths and mistruths in the Bible. I want to answer that question: Does the Bible have errors? And it's going to be a lively discussion. Hopefully, you're going to learn a lot. I know I did um, in studying Does the Bible Have Errors? So I can't wait for next week. But until then, I hope you will continue to love your Bible. Because when you love your Bible, you will love God, serve people, and live a life that matters.